Well, good evening, everybody. So good to see you. Welcome to the Neighborhood Church. Shout out to those of you who are joining us online. I want to invite you to turn in a Bible that's in your lap, in the seat in front of you, or on your phone, to the book of Matthew. It's in the second half of your Bible. And Matthew is one of what we call the Gospels. The Gospel is a word for good news. And the Gospel is a good news of Jesus. There are four books telling the story of Jesus. And we're going to look in Matthew chapter 7 at the conclusion to the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. So turn to the book of Matthew chapter 7. And while you're turning, I'll remind you that these lovely banners up here on either side of the screen that say, He is risen, and El ha resucitado, reminds us that Easter is not just a day, it's a season. Easter is a season of feasting and celebrating longer than the season of Lent, which was about fasting and preparation. Easter is a season, and it culminates with remembering the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus spent a lot of time after his resurrection, that first resurrection Sunday, telling his disciples more of the kingdom of God. And you got to believe that it was more real to them in that moment, those moments experienced with him on the other side of the cross, where it was once a hope and a theory. Now they're sitting with Jesus on the other side of death, and it was starting to sink deeply into their bones that maybe he is who he says he is after all. So Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples and eventually said, okay, it's time that I go. And he said, I'm not just going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And I'm also going to send you with a charge to go and make more apprentices, more disciples. Basically, what Jesus said was, hey, you've heard it. Now go and live it. He entrusted the kingdom words and the kingdom way to people just like you and me. You heard it, now go and live it. Because if you live this, you can weather the world. If you actually live what you've heard, no matter what the world throws at you, this is the life that is capable of weathering the storm. So this is how Matthew records the conclusion of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, a concise collection of Jesus' teachings. This is like the greatest hit set forth at the beginning of the gospel story that says this is what Jesus wanted to teach, this is how Jesus lived, and this is how Jesus tells us to live as his disciples. And if we live this way, we can weather the world. So, picking it up in verse 24. He offered a warning, and then he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. Shout out to all of you who grew up in Baptist vacation Bible schools that have some little children's song ringing in your ear about this passage. But we continue in verse 26. 
with the antithesis. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, well, that's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Same storm. And it fell with a great crash. That's when Jesus finishes his sermon. And when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. You see, he had just told them about how to uh, treat enemies, how to deal with anger and lust, how to pray, how to give. And the crowds were amazed because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. This is the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. It's the word of God for the people of God, so we say thanks be to God. Years and years ago, we made one of many trips in our life to Galveston. And this trip was special because we had a big house with a lot of the family. And my dad, shout out to my dad, who I believe is watching right now with Grandpa Wood, was able through a business work associate to get us down there on that house, and it was amazing. It was beachfront, and some of y'all are thinking, oh, it's Galveston. It ain't amazing. Listen, Galveston is A-OK. I like it, and you should too. Give it a chance. And you would have really loved it if you were at this beach house, because we were beachfront. And it was one of these big old houses on stilts, and everybody had space, my cousins, my aunt and uncle, and we were just living the Galveston dream. And so I believe it was the first day we were exploring, as you do, and we were walking down around the beach. The, we were picking up shells and saw a bunch of crabs just taking in the salty air. And that's when my dad breathes in deep and goes, <sighs> crazy when you think about it. And we said, think about what? And he said, crazy that this house we're staying at didn't used to be beachfront. And we said, really? Do tell. He goes, yeah, the guy that let us stay here was telling me that there actually used to be two rows of houses in front of it. And I'm looking on this same beach, and now I'm thinking, that's why this is such a huge beach. And of course, it didn't take Sherlock Holmes to discern why it is that those two rows of houses are no longer there because of all the devastating hurricanes that come and go. And I just thought in that moment, for the weekend we were there, and for however many weekends to come, is that something in the back of the mind of the owner? When is my house going to be the next one to weather a storm? Is my house going to still be beachfront when Harvey hits or whatever? Hurricanes wipe out beach houses, storms of life, suffering, sickness, illness, loss, the failure of relationships, the loss of jobs. Fill in the blank. You've lived it. You know it. You've seen it. Those kinds of storms threaten to knock down our lives. And I've just been thinking in the last couple of weeks in the wake of Easter and the hope that is ours because Jesus has been raised 
And we sing and say that he's defeated sin and death and evil. And we can have a hope that anchors our soul like we sang about. We can pray the words that David prayed that we know him as rock. But invariably, we're all beach houses waiting for the next storm to come. And the reality of what Jesus says at the end of his sermon is that it's not if storms are going to come, it's when. And remarkably, every beach house of our life looks pretty similar. But it's only when the storm comes that it reveals and refines and shows whether or not we've built our lives on the right kind of foundation. So many of us are tempted to build our lives on foundations that sound something like this. I am what I do. This is a trap for so many of us that are career-minded. That I am what I do, and I'm valuable because I got a promotion. And I'm valuable because I'm higher up and more successful now than I was 10 years ago. I'm valuable and I am what I do because that elicits a response when I tell people I meet that here's my resume and business card. The problem is when you lose what you do, it reveals your foundation. And your life gets knocked down if what you do is gone. This is not to make you feel guilty. This is to remind you that this is the temptation. These are the people that we are, that we're walking with and loving and working alongside. And the thing is that it's not if the storm comes, it's when. And so another kind of shaky, sandy foundation looks like, well, I am what I have. And all it takes is a literal hurricane to knock down two streets worth of beach houses to remind you that that can't be what you build your life on. And then there's the other, well, I am what they think. I may know the truth and I may feel a mess, but as long as they don't see me for who I am, That's enough affirmation and validation to keep me going the next day. Jesus understands two things. The first is that we love to build elsewhere because the beach is beautiful. And the world tells us this is a great spot. That's the first problem. Jesus knows we love to build elsewhere. The second problem is that we love to hear Jesus say things like, come follow me, come to me, give your faith and trust and life to me, come, I'll take care of it. You can find forgiveness, you can find life. If you even follow through, you'll know that not even the storm of death will ultimately take you. I'll get you through to the other end. And we say, yeah, cool, awesome, yes, yes, that sounds great. But anyway, let me go over here and get to the real stuff of life. And then Jesus says in his sermon, things like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, 
love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. And we say, yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, cool. Man, that's, that's wild. That's countercultural. That sounds awesome. But when push comes to shove, that is just not a buildable way to live a life. When you pray, say, reach out beyond yourself. Ask God for daily bread. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God for the kingdom come. Yes, I love it. I'll recite it. But is my posture one of dependency beyond myself? Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount with the challenge, the invitation, the question, the gut check. Where are you building? Because the rubber meets the road when we hear a lot of Jesus stuff and we sing a lot of Jesus songs. But when the storm comes, it reveals where we've really actually built. And my hope is in the next few moments as we're wrestling with this. On the weekend that remembers the Jesus story when he ascended, he says, you've heard it, now go and live it. That we might have a gut check that says, I want to build my life in such a way that I may not be ready for the storm, but I'm going to be confident that I'll remain because I'm remaining in you. You see, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount wasn't just a lot of stuff that sounded good but isn't actually livable. Understand that what Jesus was doing was Moses-style stuff. Jesus had Moses vibes. You see, Moses came down the mountain and he gave the Ten Commandments. And he said, y'all want to know what it's like to be human? You've been slaves in Egypt. Now we've got a God and God has shown us the way. Here's the start, Ten Commandments. Moses came down the mountain and showed him how to be truly human. Jesus goes up to the mountain and says, you've heard Moses. Let me tell you the real nitty-gritty brass tacks. Because Moses revealed something of God's heart and God's way. But there's a lot of time that's passed and a lot of people that will tell you, no, actually. And I think that it's true of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the pressure groups that said, yeah, here's these laws, but actually, here's how you really wash your hands. We can look at them and say, silly Pharisees. Silly scribes and teachers. But I think there is all sorts of ways in which we as Christians today say, no, actually, you can't be a Christian and vote that way. You can't be a Christian and read this kind of Bible. You can't be a Christian and dress this way. Jesus comes and clears the path. And what he has done in the Sermon on the Mount is fulfilled and focused God's way. When Jesus says, I've not come to throw the law out, I've come to fulfill it. And here's the thing, there's 613 laws in our Old Testament. Moses didn't stop with 10. But when push comes to shove, Jesus comes not to institute a new religion, but to fulfill and focus life as it's always meant to be lived, connected to the source of life, and this is the roadmap in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so he's challenging the religious, cultural, and practical foundations that say, yeah, but let me really show you. No, no, no. Jesus has an authority that the crowd sniffs out, the crowd recognizes, and they say there's something there. And it's hard to love our enemies. And it's hard to depend on him like this. It's hard not to care about what we eat and wear. But that's why Jesus begins with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and says, actually, if you're blessed, when you're poor in spirit, and when you're mourning, you are within reach of God's reign, and this is the invitation. God's kingdom is now oriented around Jesus. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you mourn. But hitch your wagon to Jesus. You don't have to do God's way alone. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You've heard it, now live it. This is the only life capable of weathering the world. When Jesus says, the wise person is one who's building on the rock, this is what he means, just by way of reminder. To build on the rock is to hear and live Jesus' way. This is what he says. And it's here in the next slide. It's very plain, but it will take a lifetime to live out and understand. When he says the wise person is building on the rock, he means those who hear these words of mine and actually live them. There's a phrase that Father Richard Rohr says that I still don't quite understand, but it sounds true. And what he says is, so many times we try to think our way into a new way of living, but Jesus calls us to live our way into a new way of thinking. Is that as confusing to you as it is to me? So many times we try to think our way into eating right, doing this, trying that. But when push comes to shove, are you going to eat the honey bun or are you going to eat a salad? Honey bun, amen. Lord, help me stop bringing them home from Aldi. We live our way into a new way of thinking. Our faith is not just meant to be believed, it's meant to be lived. But I think we get this backwards. We think that we're doing well when we come and we listen, that sounds great, and we go off and live our lives the same way we've always done it. What would it look like to actually hear these words and do them? We live our way into a new way of thinking, so when we have the storms come, when we have opportunity to bless, to pray, to give, to serve, to do the things that Jesus says, we find that they bring us through. We find that they're sure, solid footholds in a shaky earth. We find that he really is our rock. There's a mantra that Amy and I had for the girls growing up. And this was really something that we said darn near every day when they were toddlers. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. And I had this sense then. I don't think Amy did because she's always two steps ahead of me. I had this sense that, oh yeah, 
They got it. I don't need to be saying this when they're 12, 11, 16, 17, 18. At some point, they're just going to know how to clean their room. At some point, they know that these dirty dishes belong in the dishwasher. At some point, this mound of clothes that I've left on the steps need to be picked up and placed into their room. At some point, I won't need to say, listen and obey. Listen and obey. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. I have got to say, listen and obey every single day. And there's this mantra in the New Testament that is repeated throughout that is effectively this. Real faith is expressed in real life. Real faith is expressed in real works. Our neighbors don't understand our beliefs when we keep them in our heads. Oh, we're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbor. That kind of listening gets proven genuine when we love our neighbor, not just with our words, but with our actions. This is elementary to us. But this is what Jesus is saying, lest you think that the Sermon on the Mount is just another informational exercise. No, it is formational. But understand that it's only livable when we live it with Jesus, who ascended but says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. So it's not a matter of if the storm comes, but when. And this life is the only one capable of weathering the world. So Jesus says, come to me and come follow me. The me is important. He does not leave you alone with a set of tenants to just simply listen to. He shows you. He's with you. Every morning you have two envelopes sitting on your nightstand when your iPhone goes off with your alarm clock. And that first envelope says, come to me. Are we going to RSVP? I'm going to come to you, Jesus. I'm putting myself in your care. I'm entrusting this day to you. I'm entrusting my life with you. And then we set that invitation down, and we open up the second little envelope, and we peel back the envelope that has been scotch taped there because after COVID, nobody's licking envelopes anymore, right? That's one good thing. And we peel that off because Jesus put a nice little scotch tape there. And the second invitation says, come, follow me. What's happening in the Sermon on the Mount? What's happening in your life? What's happening every morning when you see these two invitations on their nightstand is the order matters. Don't go out and try to love your enemies in your own strength. You have to come to me first. Don't go out and try to serve and give in a way that's not just going to be built on sand of look how righteous I am. Come to Jesus first. This is the life that's capable of weathering the world. I think a good test as to whether or not I'm building on the rock is asking yourself this question. What's my why? What is my why am I serving at the clothes closet? It's my group's turn, and they can't come, so i got to come. <laughs> what's my why to love this person? What's my why to do my job? And you say, 
I'm not in ministry. I don't have an explicitly Christian connection of the dot. I would say to you, work as well and as honestly and as relationally and with as much integrity as you can because you are filled and being formed by the one who has placed you where he's placed you so that you might make a difference by being the best teacher, the best custodian, the best fill-in-the-blank you can be because at the end of the day, my why is so that I might be the person that Jesus has called me to be. And when we focus on our being, then our doing that follows is rooted in a place of rock. It's anchored in a place of Jesus. And so the doing flows from being. We come to Jesus first. That's the first envelope. We pull out that invitation. Jesus, your Lord, so I'm going to live your way. And then we say, come follow me. What is that way? That should inform how you spend your money. That should inform how you post on social media. That should inform how you drive on the way to get there when it comes to that person that just cut you off. It should inform how you relate to the other in your life. Don't just hear it. Can we live it? This is the only life capable of weathering the world. And understand this, you can't do it alone. Jesus does not call heroes to conquer the storm. I think we think that we're building this whole thing on our own. Jesus has laid the foundation. We're framing our lives on top of it. You don't go and have to conquer the storm. He's not called heroes to conquer, but disciples who are learning to depend on God's grace They are learning to depend on the Spirit's strength and the community's support. This life as a dependent disciple is the only life built on a foundation capable of weathering the world. Jesus calls us to a life of dependence. What he's challenging in the religious world of his day And what he's challenging in the religious world of our day is the idea that we go and earn it. That we go because we've done all these right things. No, no, no. You come to me first and you learn to be dependent. A disciple is an apprentice who is dependent on the teacher and his way. He's not called you to go and conquer it alone. He's training all of us to be dependent on him and others who he's given us for the journey. And it's so hard because we have to be intentional to do this together. We don't live within walking distance, most of us. We don't see each other and work in the same spaces But I'm asking you to get back to the fighting shape of a community that is intentional to cultivate goodness and the one another's that it takes because you're going to need each other in the storm just as much as we need Jesus. He doesn't call heroes. He calls disciples who are dependent. You see, when I was in seminary, I thought that I had heard it all And that the things I heard would be enough. And so if you had asked me 15 years ago, 
This or that, I had the answer. And not only that, I was certain. And in the last 15 years, since I got a piece of paper that said, you figured it all out. I can tell you that I am less sure of many things than I was then. But the small number of things I am sure of, I am more sure of. I am less sure of many things, but I am more sure of the few things I do know. And for me, a little bit of experience, a little bit of life lived in the hills and valleys of my journey with Jesus has helped me to synthesize down some bricks that fit together nicely within the foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has said. My Aunt B.G., who lived her life in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, passed several years ago. She would never married. She never had kids. And our family went to another kind of beach house. And we all made our way to Jacksonville Beach, and we stayed in her house. And my dad and I drove a U-Haul all the way back from Jacksonville Beach. And the family took a couch that now lives at Amy and Toby's house a rug that is staying in my mom's house. And one of the things I took was this little wooden cross. And it came in this like little rectangle. And on this cross says the word Psalm 103, 1 to 5. And I took it because I had a desk and I'd put a lot of tchotchkes with my Maverick stuff and my Dwight Schrute bobblehead. And I'd put that there and I'd think of Aunt Bee Gee. And her faith. And when I popped this cross out, I noticed that it's designed to be gripped tightly within a hand. And I noticed that engraved on the side it says, the carry cross. And then I remembered that Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He redeems your life from the pit. He heals all your diseases. And he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And when I found this and was holding on to it, I realized that it's a little worn down in the places where the grooves of your fingers meet it. And I just don't know, but I wonder and I trust that Aunt BG gripped this thing when she needed a disease healed. And she gripped this thing when she needed her strength renewed. And she gripped this thing tight when she was trying to remember that he forgives all our iniquities. When maybe she wondered toward the end of her life if she's going to see him on the other side. And it got me thinking to mix metaphors. What's the thing that you cling tight to? These are the things I'm becoming more sure of. Maybe yours is a scripture like Psalm 103. Maybe it's a scripture like Psalm 23. Maybe it's something that you find yourself routinely praying. For me, I'll give you one, 
And it's very simple. But I am becoming more sure of this, one of my few things I'm gripping tight. And it is this, God is love. It's amazing the mileage that God is love can take you when life's storms hit. Because it begins to disavow you of the notion that God is out to get you when circumstances tell you that God is not good. When you rest on the scriptural foundation that God is love and that Jesus is what God looks like, the image of the invisible God, you can really find yourself rooted strongly. And you can find yourself praying in such a way when God is love that I believe God can do something. So I'm going to ask that he will, and I'm going to trust that he loves me even if it doesn't go my way. Because if God is love, I understand that whatever is happening, it is not changing the heart of one who is for me, who is with me, and who will see me through even till the end. So the question for you as we wind down is what are your bricks in the foundation that you cling to? Are these things anchored in Jesus? Does it look and sound like his life and the Sermon on the Mount? And here's the other thing. Are they workable? Are they workable when things are good and in the green pastures, God is love. Things are great. Thank you, Lord, for these blessings as they are in the darkest valleys. And you're sitting there as the breaths are limited. Can you rest securely and entrust your life as the light is dimming that, God, you are love. And I want to fall into your arms even in death. What are some of your bricks? When we had Brian Zond in town with another church and he taught us in prayer school, he offered a liturgy that he had been praying every day for many years. And he explained the why and he gave us the how to pray it. But it was a story that I remembered that really sunk in why these kinds of bricks, these kinds of things to cling to are so important when they're anchored in the way and work of Jesus. Because he said the same prayers that he prayed every single day were never more real to him than when his children were in a situation at the hospital that was really a dark valley kind of moment. And he said he wiped away some tears and stole away for a little bit to an empty chapel in the hospital. And he said, when I had no words to pray, I was able to say my prayers. There was something about the prayer liturgy that he had worked up that he shared with us that helped to give him words, that helped lay some bricks that became sure steps when he had no words of his own. And the steps seemed to wobble underneath him. What are your bricks? Where are you building your life? Are they workable in the varied terrain of life? And finally, the question that we really need to confront. On which sandy beaches are you routinely tempted to build your life identity, and worth upon. Without reflection, we may not know 
that we've actually built up quite a house on things that can go with one swift wave. So awareness is the first step. Name it. Talk to someone about it. But listen, don't beat yourself up. We all try to believe the words we sing. We all say, Jesus, I give you my life. And that afternoon, we take it back up again and say, I'm just going to hang out over here with my life a little bit. Don't be ashamed. Repent. Repent literally means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. If Jesus says, hear it and do it, what you're doing is reorienting your face, where your ears are, where your eyes look. You're reorienting your face. You're turning away from what is not life-giving. You're turning away from the sandy beaches that we build upon. And then where your face looks, your feet ought to follow. You're reorienting your life. Again, this awareness. Why is it that I'm so obsessed with other people's idea of success? Why is it that I'm so obsessed with what I can produce? Why is it that I'm so obsessed with everything but what is giving me life? This is the invitation for whoever hears these words of mine and does them. It's like a wise person that has built their house upon the rock. It's not if the storms come, it's when. So where are you building? Most people have deduced that Martin Luther King Jr. spent time every single day meditating on the life and teaching of Jesus. It's been said that he read the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 to 7, every week. Some have said and wondered, is it almost every day? Because the kind of work that he was called to, the kind of house that was being built... 50 years ago plus, was rooted and anchored in the radical, life-giving, life-building way and words of Jesus. And it was said that when he meditated on the life and teaching of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount in particular, he had to audit his life and note with honesty, where am I building wrongly. So the homework for us, I'm going to invite you this week to listen or read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to 7. Jesus is raised. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is presently reigning. And he's told us how to live before he comes back and renews all things. So would we hear it? Would we wrestle with it? And would we reorient where we need to rebuild that we might set our face and our feet toward him, the only foundation capable of weathering the storm of life? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would meet with us in tenderness and mercy and call to us that we might come to you, that we might come follow you, 
And that whatever life brings, we may find you with us, a firm foundation, now and always. In your strong name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. May the word of God take root in our hearts and be expressed with our lives, honoring our Lord Jesus by setting our feet and face towards the one who gives us the life that is capable of weathering this world. May we who have built our lives on the solid rock go out into this world and love in Jesus' name, speak in Jesus' name, and care in Jesus' name by welcoming the outcast, feeding the hungry, remembering the sick, visiting the imprisoned, clothing the naked, and giving water to the thirsty. Go in peace.